Good morning, Lighthouse family. So glad you could join us. We're going to sing about the greatness of our God today, how he is supreme over everything that could ever come against you, your family, or the earth. Thank you, God, that you rule and reign. We worship you this morning. Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus. 
just focus on your name, Lord, knowing that your name is above every name, and that even now, in our midst, every knee is bowing at the mention of your name. Every knee of sickness, every knee of disease, whatever the name, on the earth, above the earth, or under the earth, as we worship you. What a powerful name it is, what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, our King. What a powerful name it is, and nothing can stand against, what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Just sing that out one more. Jesus, 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 you're the reason why we gather here today. You're the reason why we gather all around our county, all around our country. You're the reason why we wake up on Sunday morning. To celebrate. And you're the reason why we're able to take a breath Monday through Saturday as well. You are the creator and sustainer of everything. You're the reason why we live. And we give you today, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Shelly, would you join me up here for a minute? Um, first off, it, it is, it, it's hard speaking to an empty room again, but I'm reminded today that we are not about a building. The church is a people. We get to be the church seven days a week. Um, and so wherever you are, where you're joining us, uh, we love you. We are praying for you. And we're looking forward to being able to celebrate all that we are so grateful for. Thanksgiving is coming up on Thursday. And I just figured this would be a good opportunity for us to, to give some thanks. The first thing I want to give thanks for is the way in which God brings people for seasons. I want to I thank God for Ben and Cheyenne, who uh, Cheyenne was our worship leader for about six months during this shutdown. Ben was our tech director. The whole reason that you are even able to hear my voice and see my face right now is because of Ben's investment. And for a season, God entrusted them to Lighthouse, and then he called them to Nashville. And we know they're doing well out there. We love you and we miss you. And when we heard that they were planning on moving, one of the things we began to do is just pray, God, you had the worship leaders on a thousand hills. Would you bring one here? Not just a one, would you bring the right one? Um, and very quickly, he brought a couple into our church community, uh, Shelly and Steve Rusk. And uh, we've gotten to know them. And over the last six weeks, you've been able to be blessed with Shelly's voice. And Shelly, come up here for a second. Uh, because I just is kind of an early Christmas present and Hello. something to, hi there, here, I'm coming down to you. <laughs> one of the things I am so thankful for in this season is that God answers prayers, and one of the prayers we had was that he would bring us a worship leader uh, that, would, that would be able to bring their giftings to bless our church community and to help bring out the giftings of our worship team that he's already provided for us. And man, if he has not given us all of that and more 
in Shelley. And so one of the most fun parts in this whole process, like the last five, six weeks, we, has been kind of like an audition. And one of the most fun parts in this process, I, I've heard wonderful things from our, our church. I'm going to stand up, sorry. It's just silly. <laughs> I'm like, um, heard wonderful things from our church community. But one of the most fun parts for me has been this team here just going, we love her, we love her, we want her, please keep her. And so I am grateful and thankful to be able to say that Shelly ha has agreed to be our worship director. She is sticking around. We get, to, we get to worship with her week after week. So that is good, and Thank we're you. very, very grateful for you. Let me pray over her, and let me pray over Steve really quickly. Steve's up helping, uh, up on top in tech. Father God, thank you uh, for answering prayers. Thank you for bringing Shelly. Thank you for bringing Steve. Thank you for the, the impact they will continue to have in our church community. Thank you that they are not just leading us in worship, but they're a part of our family, growing with us, alongside of us, and even healing in this place. May this be a community that is strengthened through their gifting, and may you use Shelley's gifts to raise up another generation of worship leader. Father, I pray that you would call out of our pews or out of their couches today those men and women, your children, that you have entrusted with gifts and abilities in leading others into worship. And would you use her to raise up more who would be able to help lead others, both here in this church as well as way, way far away. Because ultimately, every single church community is part of our church community. And as you bless them, you bless us. And as we are blessed, they are blessed. God, thank you for your graciousness to us. In your holy name, amen. amen. Welcome. Thank All you. right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let me go ahead and grab my stuff, and we're going to dive in. All right, all right. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I'm going to start by making a little confession. Um, 2020 has not worked out the way that I anticipated. Back in 2019, or early December, I, along with the elders, gathered together and we tried to kind of plot what we anticipated 2020 would look like, tried to cast vision for it, and then God laughed, right, as he often does. Uh, because 2020 has held things that none of us would have ever anticipated. Not one, but two lockdowns. Um, toilet paper shortages, murder hornets, protests that have turned violent in many places, uh, fires all up the West Coast, so many hurricanes on the East Coast that they ran out of names and had to start using letters, right? At least, at least the, the election went smoothly, though. So, you know, we have that to lean on. This has been a difficult year. And now as I'm speaking to an empty box, but still I'm so grateful I'm able to talk to you, I just want to confess to you that I'm weary. I would imagine I'm not the only one. I'm weary of being separated from people I love, weary of having to try to communicate over the internet as opposed to being able to see your faces and interact with you directly, weary of wondering how long, O oh Lord, how much longer do we have to be apart? And I would imagine that um, the Apostle Paul would probably be nodding his head going, yeah, it's, it's, it's wearying. 
following Jesus. Because here was a man who, who was very, very familiar with the cost of following Jesus. Very, very familiar with the brokenness of this world. You don't need to turn here, but I want to briefly read some of Paul's reminiscence of what he suffered in pursuit of following his Lord. He said this, and this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. They would Typically, they believed that if you whipped a person 40 times, they would die, so they took one off 39 times. Basically, they whipped him within an inch of his life five times. Three times, I was beaten with rods. Once, I was pelted with stones to the point where they thought he was actually dead. Three times, I was shipwrecked as if once wasn't enough. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul knew from personal experience that following Jesus is no cakewalk. He knew that saying yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him did not guarantee him comfort. And let's be honest. Here in the 21st century, many of us have bought into the belief that if we say yes to Jesus, and if we follow Jesus, he will make every path flat. He will take every obstacle out of our way. And most importantly, he will preserve our comfort. And Paul would laugh at that. Paul would would laugh, I, I think like a father would laugh at his children's belief that life should be easy and that we should never be challenged. I suspect that if Paul were sitting with us right now, sitting, talking to one of us as we were grappling with what's going on, he he, he would probably nod along with us as we complain, kind of like I might uh, nod along as my boys are complaining at how overwhelming doing chores is and how frustrating and exhausting. Oh yeah, yeah, oh totally, Costco's out of toilet paper again. Yeah, that's tough, right? Oh yeah, you can't meet in the building again yeah, that's really tough. All the while thinking to himself, you guys have no concept of the cost of following Jesus. It does not guarantee us comfort. Saying yes to Jesus' invitation does not insulate us from the brokenness of the world because Jesus' goal was never to preserve our level of comfort that we have grown accustomed to. If anything, I think that the the church in America has grown way, way, way too comfortable, too complacent. We've got nice padded chairs and we expect to have them along with a cup of coffee and a donut on a Sunday. And if that doesn't happen, or if somebody, perish the thought, takes the donut that we like, that's a tough day. That's persecution. And Paul would just go, no, you don't have any idea what persecution is, but that's okay. 
Because Jesus' goal is not to protect us from discomfort. Jesus' goal is to lead us through the discomfort of the world so that our faith in him can grow and so that our witness to others who are also walking through a broken world can, can shine radically, can shine brightly, and the darker it gets, the lighter, or the brighter our light shines. And so I don't think that God is overwhelmed in this time. I don't think that God is losing. I don't think that Paul would be discouraged in this time. If anything, I think Paul would be like, yes, this is an opportunity for the church to be the church that your city needs. This is an opportunity for you to be the ambassador of hope that God created you to be because he never promised that he would protect you from discomfort. He promised that in this world you'll have trouble but you can take heart that I have overcome the world and that through me, you can have an impact that will have eternal consequences in the lives of people you care about. But, I think Paul and his words here in the book of Philippians, because remember, he's writing to a people that in a lot of ways were experiencing discomfort like we are. He was writing to a people that lived in a city that was Romanized and was caustic to their faith. And in the city of, uh, in, of Philippi, the church, the community there was being impacted from pressure on the outside, those who were trying to undermine people's faith, as well as from the inside as there was infighting going on and bickering about how best to be followers of Jesus and disagreements about theological matters. There were probably people in there that disagreed about how they should live under Roman occupation. What does it mean to follow Jesus in that? Should we meet even when they say don't meet? Should we disregard the rules? Should we obey the rules? Why should we do it? I'm sure there was disagreement about that. And what Paul does here at the end of his letter is he begins to lay out some ways by which his people, the church in Philippi, can maintain their sanity when the world around them is spinning out of control. Kind of like it is now. How do we remain sane when the world around us is spinning out of control. And so, the last three weeks, we've taken a very slow approach to going through nine verses. Two weeks ago, Pastor Jeff talked about uh, the need for us to fix our eyes on Jesus, right? As the storms of life begin to break open, as the, as the, the deluge of, of disappointment begins to drown us, don't focus on your circumstances. Focus on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He will give you the ability to remain strong in the midst of the storm. And he also reminded us that rather than bickering, we need to be the kind of people who stick together, who are unified in our faith. Remember, we're not unified because of our skin color. We're not unified because of what we do for a hobby. We're not unified because of who we voted for or our politics. We're not unified because of our, our level of affluence, our level of education. There's one thing and one thing only that unifies us, and that is our focus on the name of Jesus and our trust in him. We have a level playing field of grace. Jesus is the one we fix our eyes on, and because we are all following him, that's what makes us one despite our differences. And then last week, 
Josh reminded us yet again of the importance of not focusing on our circumstances, but focusing on Jesus in the midst of our circumstances. And he reminded us that when we begin to feel overwhelmed, as many of us are probably feeling right now, rather than giving in to anxiety and anxiousness, we should run to Jesus prayerfully because as, as Jeff mentioned two weeks ago, the armor of God is all about being able to stand against the attack of the enemy. The only offensive weapon that we have is prayer. And so Paul reminds us, when you begin to feel anxious, pray in everything, with thanksgiving. Offer your prayers to God and the God of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And on the heels of that now, we come to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, which is where we're going to study today. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, Paul says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I think for Paul, he recognized that what we fix our eyes on determines what we'll see. That makes sense, right? What you look at will determine what is in your vision. And so what we focus on, what we allow into our minds, has the ability to change our worldview and also alter our feelings, alter our... uh, the health of our mind and our heart, just as much as the food that we consume has the ability to affect our health and how we feel. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Jeff uh, chose to share a little story about how he and I went to go get acai bowls, although he called them, look, it's like acai, or I, I don't even remember how he pronounced it, but he told you the story of how I took him to go get an acai bowl while I was up in the mountains and couldn't defend myself, so now it's my opportunity to share my side of the story. You see, here's the thing with Jeff. Jeff is a creature of habit. He likes to do, go to the same places and have the same meals over and over, and I, as his friend, like to expand his horizons. So one time, for instance, I, I took him to go get a poke bowl. I mean, he's a fisherman, for goodness sake. He loves fish, right? So I took him to go get a poke bowl. Here's the thing I found about Jeff. He refuses to eat raw fish which causes me to question, what kind of fisherman doesn't eat raw fish? But that's beside the point. So I said, okay, you know what? I get that. You didn't like the poke bowl. No big deal. Let's go get an acai bowl. So I took him to go get an acai bowl. I even paid for it, and I brought it out, and I handed it to him. I said, okay, Jeff, here you go. And he looks at it, and he goes, wait a minute. There's banana on it. Now, here's something I didn't realize. Jeff, because of some kidney issues that he has, Jeff has to avoid potassium like the plague, right? Because to him, it's poisonous. And there was banana, and we all know that banana has potassium. And I said, well, Jeff, can you eat it? He's like, I haven't had a banana in like six years. But it's it's like half a banana. I should be fine if that's all, all it is. So we ate it. He seemed to like it. And then I heard, as I was watching the live stream, that he didn't like it, right? But here's what we didn't realize. Banana wasn't the only thing in that bowl that had potassium. In fact, acai berry is one of the most potassium-rich fruits on the planet. And I gave my boy a double-barrel shotgun blast of them to the kidneys. I thought 
I was blessing him. What I ended up doing was I was poisoning him. And it took him like a week and a half to get all of that potassium, about the amount that he should have eaten in an entire year in, an in, in a single meal. It took him about a week to get that out of his system. So, Jeff, I'm sorry. Probably going to stick with Cafe Rio for the time being until I figure out something else that is more safe. Um, <clears throat> but here's the point. What we eat affects how we feel, affects the health of our body. And in the same way, Paul exhorts believers, reminding us that in the same way, what we mentally consume impacts the way that we view the world and the people around us. And so rather than simply, the world is going to present us with a, a veritable buffet of tantalizing treats that seem on the surface, like that acai bowl, to be innocuous, but in reality would poison us. Things like pornography, politics, Tiger King, um, talking heads and talk radio that does nothing but stir up and agitate you and make you more discouraged about the state of the world. And add into that then social media that on the surface feels like we're connecting with people, but in reality, all it's doing is causing us to compare our admittedly imperfect lives with the sanitized version of people's lives that they like to present. And of course, we, most of us come away from that feeling less than and discouraged. And Paul would say, don't focus on that. Don't allow that to be what you consume because it will harm you. It will change the way you view the world. It'll change the way you view other people. It'll change the way you view yourself. And instead, focus on things that are true and noble and, and right and pure and lovely. So he says things like this to us. Rather than fixing fixating on conspiracy theories, focus on what is true. Rather than dwelling on the flaws of the people around us or our elected officials, and they're myriad, focus on what is noble or honorable. Rather than becoming fixated on what is wrong with the world around us, there's plenty we could find there. Find and celebrate what is right. Rather than filling our minds with the morally bankrupt drivel that Hollywood seems to want to feed us, focus on what is pure, and that's becoming more and more difficult to find these days. Rather than focusing on what is broken about our world, which isn't very hard to go looking for, right? It's right around us, there's brokenness everywhere. Rather than focus on the brokenness, focus on what is beautiful in this world. Uh, just a shout out, one of my friends, Aaron Toth, I love looking at your Facebook feed because rather than posting things that just agitate me and make me frown, you're constantly putting up beautiful, unique things about our world that bring a smile to my face. I'm grateful for that, and I look forward to seeing the things that you post. Rather than dwelling on someone else's flaws, which is really easy to do, focus instead on what is admirable and praiseworthy about them. Now, this is important for us to keep in mind when it comes to the world around us, but it's also just as important for us to do when it comes to the people who are closest to us. 
Because again, what we focus our eyes on, what we look at, determines what we will see. And when we focus on other people's flaws, it will change the way we feel, perceive them, and ultimately it will affect the way we treat them. We're dealing with that with, with our boys right now. We've got a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old, and my boys are wonderful, but they have this tendency to focus primarily on their brother's faults, to call those things out, to constantly put their brothers down so that they can somehow feel better about themselves, right? This is human nature. We're watching it play out in our home. And so this week, Kathy and I, kind of taking a page from Paul's you know, uh, playbook, have basically said, hey boys, we started each morning with this question. What is something you appreciate about your brother? What's something admirable or praiseworthy about your bro? And both of them have to think a little bit. And then when they say something, we don't let them keep saying the same thing day after day. They have to come up with something new, which is becoming more challenging as the week has gone on. It's like, nope, you already said, you know, he's funny. But looks aren't everything, buddy. So what is something else that you appreciate about your brother? What is he good at? Because how, what we focus on in the people around us will determine how we view them and how we treat them. And this is something that's important for them to learn early on, but it's also something I personally need to be reminded of again and again. Because it is so much easier to focus on the flaws. So much easier to fixate on the things that I don't like that are irritating in my kids or in my wife or in people around me. But that affects, unintentionally perhaps, but it affects the way that I view them and it certainly affects the way I treat them. And so instead, what I have been trying to make a concerted effort to do is to focus on the things that are praiseworthy about my wife and my boys. And guys, there's so many things. But it's almost like two sides of a coin, right? You can really only look at one side at a time. So are you going to focus on the things that are frustrations and flaws? Because if that's what you do, that's all you're gonna see. And you're gonna wonder, how on earth, God, did you ever link me up with this person? Did I make a mistake? I hear Shelly laughing. I'm sorry, Steve. Sorry. <laughs> but something, and by the way, I, I, can, I can point to moments in my marriage. Over the last 16 years, I can point to moments in my marriage where as the pressures of life built, I started to focus more and more on the negatives of my spouse. And it absolutely began to change the way I treated her. And I can vividly remember the days where God reached down and supernaturally flipped that coin over and said, now I want you to see why I've given you, entrusted to you, why I've entrusted you to this woman. And as I began to recognize the giftings, where she is strong in my areas of weakness, where she makes me so much of a better person, where he has given me a, a piece of iron that helps sharpen me, and yes, it creates sparks, but it has brought me to tears. Because God knows better than I know who I need to be partnered with. And he cares more about my holiness than he does my happiness. He cares more about my character than he does my comfort. And for that, I'm grateful. In the same way, I'm so grateful that he's entrusted to me those boys that are so much like me, that they bug me sometimes because I see in them, in them things that frustrate me about me. And I'm so grateful that he has entrusted them to us because they're amazing 
young boys who are growing into remarkable men. We're not raising boring children, that's for sure, all right? So what we focus on matters, and Paul reminds us, guys, don't be blasé about this. Don't just consume whatever comes to you, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable and praiseworthy. That's what you want to focus on. Otherwise, you're intentionally or unintentionally poisoning yourself. So let's take a moment, and I want us to, to ask ourselves some questions. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to just consider this. What have you been feeding yourself mentally? What does your diet consist of? Do you focus on what's true? Or do you tend to be more focused on perceived lies that people are saying? Do you focus on what is noble in the people around you? Or on what you consider to be people's faults? Do you call out what's right in the world? Or do you get fixated on what's wrong? When you look around, do you see beauty or do you get distracted by the brokenness? And if you're gonna speak up about something, do you tend to speak up about what is praiseworthy or do you tend to be more critical? Some of those hurt, huh? Me too. Uh, what we focus on matters because we fix, what we fix our eyes on will shape what we see. And guys, what we speak up about matters because as others in the Bible say time and again, the tongue has the power to build up and to tear down. It has the power to give life or to bring death. So as you focus and as you speak into your sphere of influence, words, what kind of words are you speaking? Are you speaking life or are you speaking death? Are you building up or are you tearing down? Let's be honest. This world is full of plenty of critics who tear down, full of plenty of people who want to kill the hope and the, and the joy that others have so that we can puff up, puff up our chests a little bit and feel just a little bit better about ourselves. The world doesn't need any more critics. And as sons and daughters of God, may we be the kind of people who speak life. May we be the kind of people who as we survey the world around us, have the ability to find what is lovely in the midst of the rubble of this sin-scarred world. It's out there. Some of it is within the church, and I'm not talking about a building because there's virtually nothing in here today. But it's all around you. It's in your house. There are things of beauty. Yes, you can focus on what's not right. You can compare your house to other people's houses. You can compare your level of comfort to other people's level of comfort. Or you can celebrate and give thanks for what God has entrusted to you, where he has placed you, who he has placed around you. You can focus on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And yeah, it's frustrating, and it's easy to do. It's easy to think back to 2019 and the freedoms that we just took for granted. 
and to compare them to what feels like, you know, a lack of freedom. Or we can celebrate the opportunities that God is giving us to be the incarnational church in the spheres of influence he's planted us in. Remember, God had to use persecution to push the early believers beyond their comfort zone there in Jerusalem so they would actually do what he commissioned them to do, to be his witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Guys, if all we do is lament the fact that we don't get to gather in this box, then we will forget about the fact that God never intended us to reside in a box, but to go be the church 24-7 out there. Because they're the ones who need hope. Our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, our fellow students. So let's not get focused on the discomfort of our lives. Let's find the opportunity to be life-giving in the spheres of influence that God has kind of blown us into in this season. So Paul continues, because yes, there is things that are admirable and beautiful out there, but Paul also does not want them to try to find the way they should live from society. Don't be shaped by the society around you. For, for the believers in Philippi, don't be shaped by the Roman society in which you find, where there's a ton of Roman nationalism and everybody saying, great is Nero, and we are so grateful for Rome's influence on the world, and we want that influence to continue. He's like, don't be shaped by them. Be shaped by the fact that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so rather than saying, hey, just take your cues from the world around you, Paul now points to himself. He says, take your cues from me. Let's keep reading. Philippians 4, verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Don't let this just be lip service. Don't just read these words about keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and about focusing on being unified in Christ and about praying when we start feeling anxious and, and doing so with thanksgiving and about focusing on what is pure and noble and praiseworthy. Don't just pay lip service to this. Actually do it. And the, and the God of peace will be with you. What I appreciate about Paul is that he was one of those guys who practiced what he preached. And so he could say with all confidence, like he does in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter one, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow Jesus' example. Not because I'm doing everything right, not because I'm the one you need to keep your eyes on, but because I'm serious about my faith. I'm following Jesus, and I invite you to walk with me. Guys, that's all discipleship is, isn't it? Two people, or, or a few people, with their eyes fixed on Jesus, walking next to one another. And when one stumbles, the other is there to, to help them up. And as things come up in their life, maybe there's some trouble in the marriage, maybe there's some trouble with the kids, maybe there's some trouble at work, maybe there's difficult things that come from outside, like uh, another, you know, shutdown. Another lockdown. What are we going to do for Thanksgiving? What are we going to do for Christmas? What's that going to look like? And as you walk together with your eyes focused on Jesus, you can lean on one another and learn from one another. And Paul is simply saying, hey, listen, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. I'm grateful they had Paul to lean on. 
both his writings but also his, his actions. We also have his example to follow, as with several other people throughout scripture, but we don't even need to look that far back because there are other men and women around us that God has placed in proximity to us who are taking their faith seriously. You probably know somebody I'm talking about. Who is somebody in your life that just lives differently than the world around you lives? Whose values are different than the values that you see modeled in the world around you? Who's somebody who reeks of Jesus? Whose lives are so covered in the dust of their rabbi that there's just something categorically different about them. Those are the kind of people we want to surround ourselves with. Those are the kind of people we want to rub shoulders with, we want to walk with. Even if they're different from you, even if their circumstances are different than your circumstances, and and let's be honest, all of our circumstances look differently, but we were not created to try to navigate this life on our own. We were not created to be like a stone that God supernaturally shapes independently of everyone else. The reason why it's so important for us to be in community, even when we can't be in the same building, is because we are like rocks that that are best polished in a rock tumbler. And as our lives bump into one another and as we have conflict with another person, We're shaped by our proximity to them. So who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are the people you're leaning on? That's not to say that we're not supposed to be in relationship with people who don't believe the same things we do. In fact, that's the point, is that God is shaping us into men and women whose lives radiate the hope we found in him whose lives are different because of the values that we have, but we can, we can only do that when we're in community with others who are holding us up, whose values have been shaped not by the world around us, but by the one who called us. So who is it in your life that is shaping you? Whose example are you following? Again, we all need to be disciples to Jesus, not to a person, but who is somebody that is serious about following him? Do you have a name? Then saddle up as close as you can to that person. Because what we feed our mind matters and who we walk with matters. It matters because it will shape the way that we are able to reflect the hope that we have found in Christ into this world that so desperately needs hope right now. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful that you use imperfect people like us and we are the first to confess that we don't have it all put together, that we're imperfect followers of yours. And God, there is such a buffet of brokenness around us, so many things that seem innocuous that ultimately poison us. Would you open our eyes to those things? Would you give us the courage to lay those things down so that we can do as Paul has exhorted us to do, to focus on that which is true and pure and noble and right and praiseworthy. God, would you give us the eyes to recognize 
brothers and sisters who take their faith seriously that we can walk with and do life with and lean on in our moments of weakness and discouragement and be a support to in their moments of weakness and discouragement. Help yourself to our lives, Jesus. We are your church. This building is not your church. I pray that as we go into this Thanksgiving week, we would go with thankful hearts, that we would bring the things that are burdening us to you, acknowledging ultimately we want your will to be done, even if it looks different from what we would choose. And would you help our lives to radiate the hope that we have found in you so that others may come to find their hope in you, not in us. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. Let's worship together. God, I look to you and I won't be Give me vision to see things like you do.
my goodness, I just can't help but be grateful and, and thank God, even though we're not necessarily with one another this morning, I'm so grateful that in him we are one and that he's still in control. We have a ton to be thankful for, a ton. And, and I'd love to be able to lift you up in prayer. And so if you have a prayer request, just email it to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. We'd love to be praying with you. And for those of you who call Lighthouse your home and you want to give financially as a de declaration of trust, you can do so right from our website. There's a couple of, of, of buttons there to let you do that. But this morning, let me simply pray this reminder, this exhortation from Paul to, to believers that he loved, that were in the midst of the kiln that was really shaping and changing them into the men and women that God created them to be. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is my prayer for us, Lighthouse. May we rejoice in the Lord. And I will say it again, rejoice. May our gentleness be evident to all because God is near. So may we not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, may we present our requests to God. We do so with the knowledge that the peace of God, which transcends our understanding and our circumstances, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God, that's our prayer. Would you guard our hearts and our minds? May we not grow discouraged. May we not lose heart. And finally, my brothers and my sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, may we be attracted to those things. May we focus our thoughts and our minds on that and not on those tantalizing things that the world offers us that in the end poison us. Whatever we've learned or received or heard from Paul or others who, who are covered in the dust of their rabbi, may we put it into practice. And God, here is our prayer. Would you be with us every step of the way as we keep our eyes fixed on you? Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We love you. We're grateful to be your family.